And um, to be able to be here as long as I can, because as long as I got breath, I'm going to teach the Word of God. And I'm going to be committed to it. And I'm going to be committed to you guys. I have no interest in going anywhere else or doing anything else. This is my home. This is my church. And I believe that the best is yet to come. I believe that with all of my heart. That he wants to pour out his spirit. And, uh, but, you know, there's a battle going on out there. So we need to be praying. So why don't we do that now? Father, we thank you for just being here tonight. And I know there's a lot of people that are sick and out. And Lord, we just pray for a cleansing and a healing upon families and children that are sick right now. And the flu seems to have reached its peak. And Lord, um, to bring health uh, to be restored to to, um, all the kids and adults and um, the elderly. And just protect us and keep us safe. And Lord, I thank you for what you're doing here at Calvary Chapel. And I just pray that you would continue for us to stay the course and to to minister and to be a part of what you are doing because you are doing awesome things. To be able to reach this community, to be able to reach this county, this state with the gospel and the truth of God's word uh, in any means. And Lord, to be able to expand the radio program as you guide and as you provide. And, and Lord, um, we don't want to just take things for granted. But Lord, there is a battle out there. And Satan, the prince of the power of the air, I know is going to battle us and continue to. So we just pray for your strength and wisdom. And Lord, as Calvary Live expands, that you be with Pastor Ed and Eric and, and Nick and the other guys that are sharing on Calvary Live and just give them the strength to be able to do that. And Lord, that we would be able to bring truth and clarity and understanding of the scriptures and to be able to also help those and pray for those who are in need and those who are hurting. And may we continue doing that every time that we open the doors here. And I thank you for this congregation and the support and love of this congregation and Lord we want to be led by you in every way when it comes to the ministries I pray for uh, those who are working in the children's ministry I thank you so much for them and and in the nursery taking care of those little ones and, and teaching the love of Jesus Christ to them I know that it is very precious in your sight Lord because everything that you have to say about ministering to our kids that is very important and those children are important to you that we would never see it as a burden that we would never see it as just childcare, but as a ministry that Lord as I hear about kids getting saved and, and receiving Jesus and, and Lord being excited as they come in may this be a place of just blessing that will impact them for the rest of their lives. And Lord, I pray for parents that you would help us be strong in in ministering to our children and raising them up in the ways of the world, in the ways of the Lord and not the world. And Lord, I do pray for those ones upstairs in the youth room, Lord, that there's so many pulls and so many temptations and there's so much that can get at them and bring anxiety and discouragement that Lord that you would bring them out of that and they would understand that you have a wonderful plan for them and you love them so much and Lord I pray that those who come in hurting or in bondage 
to whatever it may be, sin, addictions, that they would be set free. That, Lord, those who are coming in that, that need to hear the word and grow in the word, that you would help them to do that. that. That we wouldn't just take things for granted, but we have opportunity to hear from you every time that we meet and to worship you. So protect us from those who want to cause harm, from those who want to disrupt. I pray for strength and for endurance. And so, Lord, just guide us and direct us and strengthen us in every way. And bless tonight as we study your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for allowing me to share that with you. Let's do go into Isaiah chapter 20 tonight. And we are in that section of Isaiah that started in chapter 13 that uh, the prophet here is uh, proclaiming these uh, as he has these visions of these burdens against the different nations that surround the house of Israel and Judah and Jerusalem. And so we've been looking at that. And last week as we looked at chapter 18 and 19, that there was this proclamation, that, that word, the, the burdened, which means a weighty word, uh, a heavy word, against Ethiopia and also against Egypt. And as we know that Ethiopia at this time that the prophecies are being given 2,700 years ago, that Ethiopia was a powerhouse there in Africa that rivaled the Assyrians. Now the Assyrians right now that Isaiah, as he's ministering, they are uh, the world power that begins, as you recall in Isaiah chapter 8, that they're overflowing the mighty river. There's that, that analogy that Isaiah gives. They're going to be like uh, the floodwaters that begin to overflow its banks of the great rivers up there where Assyria was, the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, and begin to make their way southward. And that's what they were doing. They, were, uh, they would come into Syria and take over Syria in 732 B.C. And then the 10 northern tribes in 722 B.C. of the house of Israel, they begin and they're making their way over towards the coast to Tyre and, and down along the, the places of Philistia as we saw the proclamation against the Philistines. And then over on the east side of the Jordan River towards uh, Ammon and Moab and Edom. And it's almost like, you know, they're surrounding Judah and Jerusalem. And, and that's what we're going to see as we continue that eventually that Shennacherib, the king of Assyria, is going to surround Jerusalem and it's the last stronghold of Judah, but we're going to see that God's going to intervene. So here is this temptation of Judah and also before Israel goes off into captivity to align themselves with Egypt and with Ethiopia. Ethiopia and Egypt wanting them to come and to be able to, to uh, join in with them so they can try to stop the Assyrians. And what the Lord is telling Judah and what the Lord is telling his people is this, that Ethiopia and, and Egypt are not going to help you. They are not going to be the expectation or meet the expectations that you have, and you're not going to be able to glory in them. 
And this is what we see a sign given concerning Ethiopia and Egypt as we now move into chapter 20, a sign to God's people. Let's look at that. And in the year that Tartan, Tartan is a title. It literally means a commander-in-chief. So in the year that Tartan came to Ashdod, when Sargon, the king of Assyria, sent him, and he fought against Ashdod and took it. So Ashdod was one of, it maybe rings a bell with you, one of the five major cities of the Philistines. Uh, as you read, particularly 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, that when David was fighting against the Philistines, that there was five major cities of the Philistines, and Ashdod was one of them. So here come the Assyrians. They're coming along the coast, tired in, 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 um, along in Lebanon. They come down along the coast, as well as they're going on the east side of the Jordan River, where Edom is, where uh, Moab is, and, and they're beginning to put a strong uh, strangle, that is, on uh, Judah that's caught in between. And we know that as they took this city, that uh, they conquered, uh, actually, uh, historically, Ashdod in about 711 B.C. And as they are flexing their muscles at this time, um, we see that Judah, they know that, hey, we're next, that the Assyrians are going to march against us. But let's continue to see this. At the same time, the Lord spoke by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, go and remove the sackcloth from your body and take your sandals off your feet. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. And then the Lord said, just as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot three years for a sign and a wonder against Egypt and Ethiopia. So the Lord gave Isaiah this sign to act out. Take out your, you know, outer garments of, of sackcloth. Now, sackcloth was, of course, was uh, they would put on sackcloth and, and pour ashes on their heads as a sign of mourning. Take off your sandals. And it wasn't easy to have the ministry of a prophet in the Old Testament. I mean, here he is for not just for a day, for three years, he's going to walk around without his garment on and barefooted. Now, the debate is, was he naked walking around? And most scholarship believe that he was told to take off his outer garment and he would have his inner garment on. It would be pretty much like walking around in your underwear and walking barefoot. And the reason that he was to act out this, this sign to Judah is that it was a sign that Egypt and Ethiopia are going to be humiliated. And they are not going to meet your expectation. And you're not going to be able to glory in them. And in the Old Testament, you know, I used to think it'd be great to, to, you know, be like Isaiah that had incredible visions here or like Ezekiel that had such incredible visions when he was off into captivity by Babylon or Daniel or Jeremiah. But these guys didn't have easy ministries. Matter of fact, Ezekiel, he was told to lay on his side for 390 days. That's over a year. And again, the debate is, you know, did he lay on his side for, uh, you know, a total 390 days all day long? It was probably for a period of time during the day, obviously. And, you know, I don't think that Isaiah walked around, you know, with his outer garment all the time for, for three years. But there was that sign that they were to act out for that period of time. Ezekiel, we know Hosea, that he was one that he was told to take a bride, to take a wife who was 
a harlot. And then when she went out and committed immorality, that Hosea, you are to bring her back. You are to forgive her and take her back as your wife. And then she did it again. And then she did it a third time. But the Lord was showing Hosea that you're going to, to feel somewhat of what I am feeling as my people are going off into harlotry, spiritual harlotry, as they're going off and committed spiritually adultery. That Hosea, that was so brokenhearted, was feeling some of the same things that were going on in the heart of God as he watched his people commit adultery, spiritual adultery. And it is through Hosea that the message was, oh, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? That I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to forgive you and restore you. Eventually judgment would come, but the patience and the compassion of the Lord. And you see, here is Isaiah. You're going to walk around and you're going to be humiliated in doing this, but it's a sign to my people that Egypt and Ethiopia are going to be humiliated and you don't put your trust in them. You put your trust in me. And that is a lesson that we see over and over again as we go through these chapters. And I think that it's important for us to understand what the Lord is saying to us today as we make application because when we feel stressed or we feel like that the world's surrounding us, and Egypt is a picture of the world, isn't it? That we can have the temptation to go the world's way or ally ourselves with the world's philosophy and the world's ways. And the Lord is saying that the world is not going to meet your expectation. And the world is not going to be your glory. And you're going to find yourself being humiliated if you align yourself with the world in the world's way. And that's why it's so imperative that we know God's way and we can continue in God's wisdom that we trust him because the world will put a lot of pressure on us that, you know what, forget that religious stuff and that church stuff and the Bible stuff. It doesn't work anymore. And you need to align yourself with what culture and society says today. And there's going to be a lot of pressure put on you, mom and dad, and how you raise your kids. There's going to be a lot of pressure put on you, young adult, and how it is that you are to look at the world and be successful in the world, to, to go for the gusto, to live for yourself and, and all of this. There's a lot of pressure that's put on you and how you are to live and see life. And the world is screaming at us to compromise and to celebrate that which is wrong, which is evil, which is immoral. And we're getting that pressure more and more. And then you and I are told to shut up and not give God's wisdom. And not give God's truth. So those things are coming against us. And it seems like it, it more and more is choking out Christians. their light and, and being uh, a vessel of truth and being a witness to a world that needs to hear the truth and the wisdom of God's word and the gospel message. So you're going to see that Ethiopia and Egypt isn't going to help you. And the Assyrians would humiliate them. And what the Assyrians would do when they would capture somebody is that they would strip you naked. And they put fish hooks into your mouths. 
And they would have a line of you, you know, for, for hundreds and thousands in a group, the fish hooks in a line, and they would humiliate you. That's what the Assyrians would do. The Romans would do the same thing. When the Romans conquered a city, they would strip the generals of the opposing army and parade them through the conquered city. And that's the term that Paul uses when he says in the book of Colossians chapter 2 that that he's wiped out Jesus because he went to the cross, a handwriting of requirement that was against us, that is, we have forgiveness of sin, and has stripped principalities and powers. And that's a military term that... uh, that the Romans would strip the enemy. And the enemy, we are told, because of what Jesus Christ has done and provided for us on the cross of Calvary and rose from the grave, he's been stripped of his power over us. He's been humiliated. But coming back to this, if we align ourselves, listen, if there's anything that you get tonight, it's this. If you align yourself with Egypt or Ethiopia, you're going to be humiliated. And the reason is, is because Satan wants to humiliate you and me. And what he will do is try to get us to have confidence in the world and what culture says, rather than having confidence in what God's word declares. So this is something that's being acted out here. And as we continue in verse 4, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptians as prisoners and the Ethiopians as captives, young and old, naked and barefoot, with their buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. And then they shall be afraid and ashamed of Ethiopia, their expectation in Egypt, their glory. In other words, that the expectation that you had towards Ethiopia, that they're going to save you, they're not going to meet your expectation. Uh, The glory of Egypt, there is going to be no glory in Egypt. Jeremiah, in his book, would write, the rich man made glory in his riches and the strong man in his might, but you and I are the glory in this, that we know the name of the Lord our God. And that is what we glory in and that is where our strength is in. And knowing him and following after him and living for him. And so verse 6, and the inhabitants of the territory will say in that day, surely such is our expectation. Wherever we flee for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria and how shall we escape? Uh, This is how you're going to escape. You're going to look to the Lord and let him be your refuge and let him be your strength and let him guide you and lead you because that's what he desires to do for us, to be that source of strength and to be our refuge and to be our help. When at time when Ethiopia and, and Egypt and the Assyrians are surrounding you and you don't know what to do, look to the Lord and trust in him. And know that his promises are true for you and that he is your strength and he is your glory. And he will not fail his promises given to us. So we are to turn to him. And as we minister to others, listen, there's another lesson in that, not only for us, but I do know this, and I've experienced it in my ministry, that as Isaiah was told that you're going to, Take off your outer garment. You're going to walk barefoot as a sign that oftentimes the Lord will have you experience. In other words, God will will take you through the things that you are to share with others and teach with others. 
Isaiah, you're going to teach them about how Egypt and Ethiopia is going to be humiliated. So you're going to experience a little bit of that. You know how you're going to be effective in ministering to others? That as you give the truth of God's word, as you minister God's wisdom and God's compassion and the hope of God's word and promises given, that he will allow you to experience some of the things that, that others are going through so you can be more effective and more compassionate and sympathetic towards them. I found that to be true in my own life. And we talked a little bit about that as we ended on uh, Sunday in Hebrews chapter 2, that he is our compassionate and merciful high priest. He is compassionate towards us. He's merciful towards us. The great high priest, he is uh, the one that, that is faithful and true to us. He's the faithful high priest. And listen, you will be able to be more compassionate and merciful towards others if you experience somewhat of what, you know, they are going through. We don't experience everything the same way. But if you've gone through loss, you can minister powerfully to somebody else who's gone through loss. Or if you've been betrayed and hurt deeply, you're going to be able to minister to somebody else more effectively because the Lord has allowed that to come into your life and you've seen the faithfulness and the mercy of God be worked out in your life. And you can say, you know what? God's going to be faithful and merciful to you. He will allow you to go through things so that you can minister more effectively and teach others. Parents, as you teach your children, as they come to you and they're confused or they're upset, that you're going to be able to minister to them because you have walked perhaps where they've walked. Or to that person at work or that neighbor or that family member. That as you go through the difficulties and the challenges of life, but you experience the goodness of the Lord and the faithfulness of the Lord, you can get that to others. And it's a powerful ministry that God will give to each and every one of us. So if you're going through difficulties, if you're going through, you know, trials and difficulties, allow the Lord to work in your life to where you see his faithfulness and his mercy and his compassion. And then as he gets you through it, and he will, because he's never going to leave you or forsake you, that you're going to be able to minister to others. And you're going to be able to say, God is true, and he's with you, and he's going to see you through. And that's what the body of Christ is to be all about. And you will minister more effectively and have more to offer because, you see, he's allowed you to go through some of those difficult times. So if you're here and you're going through a difficult time, God's going to see you through, and then he wants to use it as well to minister to others. So Isaiah feeling this, and then as we go into chapter 21, we see that in chapter 21, the fall of Babylon is, is proclaimed. Uh, this burden on Babylon, then Edom, then Arabia, and the burden against the wilderness of the sea that is uh, another name for Babylon. And we read as whirlwinds in the south pass through, and so it comes from the desert, from a terrible land. A distressing vision is declared to me, a, uh, treacherous dealer deals treacherously and the plunder plunder plunderer plunders go up O Elam and besiege O media and it's a sign uh, I have made to cease and so we see here that um, 
it's an amazing prophecy. Just keep in mind that this is being written when Babylon is just a, a small country. They're not powerful. It's the Assyrians that right now are the powerful nation that is beginning to make its move and take over other nations. But then what is told to us in verse 2 here is that Babylon is going to be taken by Elam and Media. Elam is the ancient name for Persia. And we know that as we read the book of Daniel, and we know historically that the Babylonians fell to who? The Medo-Persian Empire. Now, the Medes and the Persians at this time that Isaiah is writing, to over 200 years before it would happen, that the Medes and the Persians were just nomads. They, they were not even a province. They're just like little villages. It would be like saying the United States uh, is going to be taken over by Switzerland, you know, something like that. Um, it, it would be hard to comprehend, but it's amazing. God knows the end from the beginning, we know Isaiah declares, and he knew this was going to happen, prophesying that Babylon would fall to the Medes and the Persians. How? Well, let's look at verse 3. Therefore, my loins are filled with pain. Pangs have taken hold of me like the pangs of a woman in labor. I was distressed when I heard it. I was dismayed when I saw it. My heart wavered. Fearfulness frightened me. The, the night for which I longed, he turned into fear for me and prepared the table, verse 5, set a watchman in the tower, eat and drink, arise you princes, anoint the shields. Amazing here what's being said. Daniel chapter 5, you know the story. Belshazzar's having a, a party with his lords, a thousand lords. They take out the vessels, the cups that were taken from, from Jerusalem, the temple, and they're toasting, uh, drinking to, uh, and making toast to the gods of Babylon. And, and all of a sudden, the hand comes writing on the wall behind Belshazzar. Mini, mini, tekel, you farces. You've been found in the balances and found wanting, and you're going to be killed, Belshazzar, and your kingdom's going to be given to the Medes and the Persians. And so uh, Babylon fell that night as Cyrus came into the city, took over the city, and it's interesting here, the prophecy, therefore my loins are filled with pain. We know that in Daniel chapter 5 in that story, that when Belshazzar's drinking and making those toasts, he saw the hand of God writing that message. And it says that his knees knocked together and his loins were loosed. Isaiah is prophesying that. Now, I don't need to interpret what it means that his, his loins were loosed. I, I think you get the picture. He needed a diaper. But um, pangs take hold of me like pangs of a woman in labor. Distress when I heard it. I was dismayed when I saw it. Saw the hand writing that message. My heart wavered. Fearfulness frightened me. The night which I longed for it, he turned into fear for me. Prepared the table, all his lords at the table. Set a watchman in a tower, eat and drink. Arise your princess, anoint the shield. It didn't help. The Medes and the Persians came in and took over. And for thus the Lord said to me, go set a watchman. Let him declare what he sees. And he saw a chariot with a pair of horsemen, a chariot of donkeys and chariot of camels. And he listened earnestly with great care. 
And then he cried, Align, my Lord. I stand continually at the watchtower in the daytime. I have set my post every night. And look, here comes a chariot of men with a pair of horsemen. And then he answered and said, Babylon is falling, is falling. And all the carved images of her gods he has broken to the ground. So Babylon goes down to the Medes and the Persians here. And Babylon has fallen is a cry that is heard in Revelation chapter 8, verse 2, at the end of the tribulation period, as the Babylonian commercial system comes to an end, and God destroys Babylon. But here, in, as we look at this, verse 10, O oh, my threshing and the grain of my floor, that which I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have declared to you. You know, this is, you know, heavy for Isaiah to see. When Daniel would see the visions, he fainted, and it was heavy for him. But he would be about the king's business. And as we look at this prophecy here, we know that God's word is so true because over 200 years before it happened, he's given in detail how Babylon would fall that night. And that's how we can trust the word of God. And the things that are spoken that are yet future, what we are going to see as we go into after these, these proclamations that Isaiah is going to give us detail about the tribulation period. I don't know if you guys know this. Do you realize that the tribulation period is the most documented period of time in the Bible? And we have privilege to be able to see how the culmination of things that's going to happen, that's going to usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it's not to frighten us. Matter of fact, I wanted to give uh, a prophecy update. You remember in our, our prophecy um, update that we, we did uh, on Ezekiel 38 and 39, but this came out this week that Netanyahu threatens to stop Iran if it tries to entrench itself in Syria. He met with um, President Putin in, in Moscow in, in the last few days. And the question is, does Iran entrench itself in Syria? This is from the Times of Israel. Or will this process be stopped? If it doesn't stop by itself, we will stop it. Netanyahu told Israeli reporters during the telephone brief briefing moments before taking off from Moscow back to Tel Aviv. We also spoke about, this is his conversation with Putin, about Lebanon, which is becoming a factory of precision-guided missiles that threaten Israel. These missiles pose a grave threat to Israel, and we cannot accept this threat, he answered. He said that the weapons factories are currently in the process of being built by Iran. I explained our policy. They're not idle words, he said, and now Russians understand our position. As I see how things continue to heat up there, just north of Israel, I, I look and I think, how close are we to Ezekiel 38 being fulfilled? And if we're that close to Ezekiel 38, and we don't know the exact timing, the stage has been set to where I believe that, that things can happen very quickly and at any time, I think, how close are we to the rapture of the church? You see, the Lord doesn't tell us these things so we can be fearful. He hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. And Paul would write to the church at Thessalonica that he says, comfort one another with these words. 
And what it does for you and for me is we, you know, read the book of Revelation as we're going to read these prophecies that are heavy concerning end time prophecy and the tribulation and the great tribulation period that, yeah, we can look at it. And sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming, but the Lord desires for us to know for a couple reasons what's going to happen so that we know our future, that he's going to take us home. And remember that Jesus said that you pray always that you may escape. Pray and watch always that you may escape these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. There's going to be an escape for you and for me, and that is the rapture of the church. That we're not going to go through that period of God pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. So it brings us comfort. It brings us hope. But we're able to understand this, that as we see the events around us, that this world is not getting better. Egypt and Ethiopia is not our help. And it gives me a sense of urgency how we need to, as Daniel fainted and he was overwhelmed with those visions of the last days he got up and he was about the king's business and I hope that we here at Calvary Chapel that we have that same urgency that listen the Lord could come for us at any time I don't know when he's going to come no one knows the day or the hour but he could come for us at any time and this world is not going to get better and brighter and more rosier it's going to get worse not because I said so, but because the Bible declares it. And that gives me a sense of urgency to be about the king's business and to occupy till he comes, as Jesus would say to his disciples. And to have comfort to know that we are to watch and pray. And as we come to him, that we will escape these things, will come to pass. Because as Paul writes in Second Thessalonians, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, they said, we're children of the day, not of the night. And we have not been appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings me such great comfort to know that the Lord's going to come for his bride, and that's you and me. And it's kind of interesting. I want to finish real quickly here. The proclamation against Edom here is that he calls me out to Seir. Watchman, what of the night? Watchman, what of the night? The watchman says, the morning comes and also the night. If you will inquire, inquire, return, come back. At verse 12, I was kind of looking at that and thinking, what is Isaiah saying in that? I'm just thinking about it this afternoon and praying about it. But here, the watchman, that he speaks of the watchman, you know what a watchman is. A watchman is up on the wall. The ancient cities had walls around him. He looked out and he would warn the people if danger was coming. You and I are called to be watchmen. You and I are watchmen today. And we are to give the truth to others, to give warnings to others. And, and that's what the watchman wants to do. But it's interesting here. Watchman, what of the night? What of the night? The watchman said the morning comes and also the night. If you inquire, inquire, return, come back. And then I'm going to kind of wrap it up. I'm going to come back to it. But the burden against Arabia is the force in Arabia you will lodge, O you traveling companies of the Danites, O inhabitants of the land of Tema. Bring water to him who is thirsty with their bread. They met him who fled. For they fled with the swords and the drawn swords from the bent bow and from the distress of war. Listen, in the day as people are looking at all the craziness that's going on around us, 
you and I have water and bread to bring, the living water and the bread of life to give to others. But back here in verse 12, as I'm thinking about this, the morning comes and also the night. The morning comes also the night. If you inquire, inquire, return, come back. I wonder if this isn't a hint that it's going to be night, then morning comes, and then also the night. Something's happening at the same time, the morning and the night that we know that there's dark times ahead for us and for this world. Heavy things are going to come down. But the morning comes. I just wonder if Isaiah is giving a hint, can't say dogmatically, but it's been suggested that if it's speaking about a mighty revival before the Lord comes back, that it's going to be dark. There's the watchman that's giving warnings Hey, hey, watchman, what of the night? What of the night? We can tell people, listen, this world is not your hope. And the watchman said the morning comes and also the night. It's going to be a dark time and things are getting darker. But you and I have light to give to others. I wonder if it's just pointing to a revival that could take place right before the Lord comes for his bride. I hope there is. That's what I pray for an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit in this community and in this state and in this nation. And I don't know about you. I want to be a part of that, don't you? To be a watchman on the wall, to give bread to eat to others, the living bread and living waters to others. As they're fleeing and they're wondering and confused about everything. Yes, there's the watchman, the night, the night. But there's morning. We have light to give to others and hope to give to others. And I pray for a great awakening that will take place because we were willing to feed others with the truth of God's word, the love of Jesus Christ, and the good news of the gospel. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these things that we talked about tonight. And, Lord, I pray our hearts have been stirred. And, and Lord, we do live in very special times. They can be difficult times, perilous times, dark times. But, Lord... You're also working. You want to save a community. You want to save people. You want to save a nation. You're not done working. Not by a long shot. And as long as we have right now this period of grace that we are here, that we want to give bread to to others, we want to give them living water. Because even as Jesus said to that woman at the well, that this water of the world's going to cause you to thirst over and over again, but I have living water to give to you. And if we come to him and eat of him and drink of him, because he is the bread of life that came from heaven, they will never hunger and thirst again. And that's what we want to give to others. So, Father, I do pray that our hearts would be that, Lord, every single day that we have opportunity to share with others. And we pray for revival. Lord, use us. Revival first starting in this church. Get us out of our sleepiness, our apathetic, you know, kind of mode that we can get into, all of us. To be lethargic, but Lord, to awaken, even as Paul would write to the Ephesian church, awaken for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And Lord, that we know that we're rushing towards 
where there is going to be darkness and tribulation. But Lord, there is light and hope. So Lord, we want to be sensitive to your leading and empowered to be able to continue ministering to our families, as parents, to our children, as a congregation to our young people, how ministering the love of Jesus Christ, caring for one another, being a light, being a hospital for those who are confused and calling, and Lord, giving them the bread of your word to feed on and to be strengthened the meat of your word. Lord, I pray that, that, Lord, that we would be sensitive to you and how you want to use us. And Lord, I pray that you would move mightily for us to minister in our Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, even if you want to, to the ends of the earth. So, Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for these precious people. And I pray that we would leave here rejoicing. And I also pray for those who are going through difficulty. That, Lord, that you would strengthen and give wisdom and encouragement as we struggle, as we fail, as we fall short. That, Lord, you're still with us. You're the compassionate and merciful high priest. And as we just yield to you and surrender to you, that we don't put our priorities and our trust in Ethiopia or in Egypt, but in the word of the Lord and you personally. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation, Lord, in every way. And Father, I thank you that we were here tonight. I pray if there's anybody here that, that hasn't made a commitment to you, that they would take the time to come up and hear the gospel, to receive it, to pray. As Jesus loves you, he died for you, he is your salvation. He went to the cross, he died for your sins, he rose again. There is no other salvation not found in anyone else, in yourself, or anything else, not in a church. It is found in Jesus Christ, a surrendered life to him. So I pray if anyone is wanting to have that and know that. The Lord, even right now, even as you're touching their hearts, they would pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me. And you are the one that has living water. And you're the bread of life, I believe that, who died for me, forgive me, and you rose again and you're alive. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to know you and walk with you and learn of you all the days of my life. Father, I pray if there's anyone that happens to pray that prayer, if they're here tonight or later listening to the message, that they would know that you love them and your word is true for them. So, Father, we thank you for your work in our hearts tonight. Bless everyone here. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Would you please stand?